welcome to the Defend the North podcast. I'm your co-host, Dana Eisfeld. I'm joined today by the man who was so excited to talk about the potential MVP season of twin center fielder Byron Buxton, who unfortunately left today's game against the Rangers with yet another injury. The man who would like to stand tall and shake Rick Spielman's hand for getting the job done in the 2021 NFL Draft. And the man who thinks winning culture for the Wolves is better than losing culture and damn that top three pick. And that's the guy that I call my cousin Isaac. Cuz, what's going on? Well, it's probably best <laughs> I start with, uh, since I'm a good old Minnesotan, that weather out there we're having is pretty nice today, huh? Wow. May 6th is bringing in some uh, some some good weather. Gotta love it. Bring it in, bring it in the heat. Unlike the Twins bullpen. Ooh, we're going there right off the bat. Okay, yeah. I think we should talk about the Twins, but maybe maybe something just a little more, a little more exciting. Yeah. So our player spotlight this week is is Byron Buxton, and we had this whole segment prepped, and then today, um, after a phenomenal start to the year, uh, you know, April and, and early May, and, and Byron Buxton goes down with another injury, and 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 we'll talk about that. But I do think that for the first five or so weeks of the season, you know, Byron Buxton has been probably one of the top MVP candidates in the AL. And I thought, you know, Isaac, we could start a little bit about, you know, Byron Buxton and, and everybody that I talked to in the podcast that I listened to and um, just the general sentiment about what we've seen these first five weeks is relief. He's a kid that came up in 2015 and, you know, that was six years ago now. Yeah, so so what you're saying is it's about damn time, huh? Yeah, so I mean, I was, yeah, I would have been a junior in college, and um, I was extremely excited about this guy coming up. I mean, I don't use Twitter much, but I think this is one of the one of the tweets I did retweet was when Buxton got called up to the, the big leagues. Now, he didn't really create much fireworks right off the bat, which I think was a little disappointing, but just the promise for this guy, this, this five-tool guy coming out of high school, um, I mean, it, the speed obviously was his number one thing that kind of just was off the charts. And then there, there was also the promise that his bat could come around because he had really good kind of mechanics with his with his swing. So just like to see this guy come in, I mean, we we drafted him second overall. Do you know the guy that went ahead of him who's also a pretty damn good player? Mike Trout? No, but I mean, good guess. No, Carlos Correa. So... um I mean, either player, I feel like you can't really go wrong. Correa's probably had a better career to this point. What were your thoughts when he was coming up? Well, you know, I today I typed in Google um, Byron Buxton 2014 comparison, and the first Google hit was an article about he is Mike Trout. And because he's a five-tool guy, yeah. right? Like, he can field, he can run the bases, he can hit for power, he can hit for average. I mean... He's everything you want. And, you know, from Fort Myers to New Brighton to Rochester, he was touted as one of the best prospects in the game. And I, I can remember listening to K-Fan over and over again in my drives home, just like, this guy is going to be the, the real deal. And, you know, I'm always a little skeptical about the real deal <laughs> until you are actually the real deal, because it's a big gap between minor league baseball and, and the majors. And then even once you're in the majors, like, who knows? Like the, the the arc of your career, how that's going to play out. Like the situation has to be right. You know, the 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 managers and and the the bench coaches have to be guys that can speak to you. And um, injuries, yeah. You know, just like plain and simple, being able to be on the field. And that's been the Achilles heel of Byron Buxton's career. But he has shown some bright spots. Like I was looking back at. Uh, he there was two years where he actually got some MVP consideration. One was 2017. So he's uh, he comes up in 2015 with the Twins. Uh, a couple of years later, um, he wins the Gold Glove. He gets a few MVP votes. It's mostly about his impact on the field, though, because or he played 140 games. So it was basically like the closest thing to a full season we've seen. He had a 4.9 wins above replacement, a 2.53 batting average, only 16 home runs, and 51 RBIs. He did have 27 steals, and he led the league in stolen base percentage that year. But a guy... Batting 253 with 16 home <laughs> runs and 51 ribbies, like, you know, finishing in the top 15 and MVP consideration, that tells me that he's having an impact on both sides of the ball. Yeah, definitely. And, I mean, you can see it in every game. Like, he I, he makes crazy plays out in the outfield all the time. So it's like normally you get really excited about guys who step up in the batter's box, but you got this guy Buxton patrolling the outfield, and it's like, you know, you hit it anywhere in between the left fielder and right fielder, and, like, 
good luck. I mean, he's he's going to track it down. But I, I feel like his issue always is, is part of that is his fielding is what always gets him hurt because he seems to be a guy that just loves to just come in contact with that wall, just full bore. <laughs> be nice if he just played it smart a little bit more on the field. Um, I know his, his injury he had today, he uh, tried to rob a home run, I think it was in the seventh inning, and uh, kind of smashed into the wall on that play. So who knows if that was part of the reason why his injury flared up today, but it just seems like... He almost always goes too hard in the field, and it makes amazing plays, um, great highlight reels. But we want this guy on the field. <laughs> yeah, and that's, you know, I think it was the last great twin center fielder, Torrey Hunter, and, and I think he figured that out. And I think he figured it out pretty early. Like, his athleticism, his ability to, like, I don't think he was quite as rangy as Buxton, but he certainly had the highlight. Um, I remember that all-star game home run that he uh, jumped over mm-hmm. the fence and like it was halfway down and he snapped it back, but he, you know, he was able to stay healthy and, you know, Buxton, even in that, in that, in that 17 season, Isaac missed 22 games because of a groin strain and migraines. But then you look through at the, 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 the three seasons that follow and just think about him playing defense, running up against the wall and how that might impact what he hurt. 2018 misses 134 games, migraines, Fractures his toe, strain wrist. 2019, wrist contusion, concussion, left shoulder dislocation, uh, dislocation, labrum surgery, 75 games missed. 2020, which actually was a pretty good Mm -hmm. year, shortened year, plays in 39 games. Concussion symptoms, left shoulder injury, sprain left foot. Not everything is about him and fighting the center field wall, (laughs) but a lot of it is. And would would you sacrifice... 10% 10% of his ability to get to balls that maybe other guys can't for staying on the field for 80 to 90% of the season. I think that would be a fair yeah, sacrifice. 100% agreed. Early in his career, you can, like a guy that's athletic in him, like you can kind of understand him wanting to like go after everything all the time. But when do you just like mature and be like, let it go? It's not a Disney movie. <laughs> let it go. <laughs> <laughs> like, just let it go. Like, it's okay. Like, our twins pitching staff is going to give up a lot of home runs anyway. Maybe if you could just save your body a little bit more, let a couple more home runs go, um, and have this guy out on the field more, as well as like you know hitting 250. At least he's getting on base. If he could just let up a little bit, so that he can actually play a full season, because we saw one full season and how impactful he is. Just to stay on the field, man. I mean, last year, like. I mean, he had he had zero errors in 313 innings, and through that, he had 104 putouts and one assist. This guy's an a, amazing fielder, but yeah, if he can just find a way to conserve his body a little bit more, he's not getting any younger. He's what 27 now. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I, I think it's time like start staying on the field, man. Your body's not going to bounce back, you know, as fast as it once did, maybe. Well, he's kind of put it together at the plate, and so I was thinking to myself as, you know, cause you've been wanting to have this Byron Buxton segment for over a month and, yep. you know, most guys, and I kept saying like, let's just wait, let's just wait. Like we, we've seen it a bit before and it, there has been something different this year. So his hip strain at this point, at least seems to be a day-to-day issue. So let's hope that's the case. You know, maybe he misses a handful of games and doesn't go on the IL, but like in terms of the bigger picture in 2021, what's been the biggest change in Byron Buxton I mean, for sure, hitting with power. Like, he's hitting extra base hits a lot. Right now, he has nine home runs, which is, like, third in the big leagues. And his slugging percentage is first in, in the big leagues. So, I mean, he's just he's smacking the crap out of the ball, which I don't think we're always used to. I think we've seen, like, glimpses of it, and he'd bring it at times during certain seasons, but it was never, like, any type of, like, like weeks put together. Um, now I kind of wanted to talk about Byron when he was like hitting 450, but you know, he's only hitting a cool 370 now. So I guess that's not bad. I'll take it, you know, right. I mean, it's not Honus Wagner, but like, I'll take 370 (laughs) for Byron Buxton. I'll take 370 any day. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's just, he's crushing the ball. Um, I mean, as of today, he's third in batting average. He's third in doubles. I already said he's, he's third in home runs. I already said he's first in slugging percentage. Like, that's an MVP campaign on top of his defense. You know, when I see him walk up to the plate, and he seems filled yeah. out. Like, like Byron Buxton was pretty long. I wouldn't call him skinny, but he was very lanky. And the confidence and the swagger that he's bringing up to the plate, he's swinging freely. 
Rocco has mentioned this in a couple of post-game pressers. He's like, you know, he's not, not overthinking it. Like he's going up there and he knows the balls that he can hit and he knows where he can hit them. And what I found really interesting when I was doing a deep dive on his stats, so his hard hit percentage. So the percentage of balls in play with an exit velocity over 95 miles per hour is at 62%. His career average is 39 And the encouraging thing for Byron is that that has gone up every year. He started out in his rookie year at 29%, um, and he was at 43 and 48% the last two years. So eventually, like, he's going to cool off. But the big thing is, like, like that's a – okay, is that an advanced metric? Sure, for all you purists (laughs) out there that are like, what's hard hit percentage? (laughs) The the bottom line is, like, when you hit line drives, whether they're into the stands or they're – you know, you're spraying the ball around the field, like, more times than not, that's going to mean good things for you and for your offense. And if for two-thirds of the time that he puts the, the, the bat on the ball that's happening, that's incredible. And I, I just hope that he can come back. Somebody needs to talk to him about how he plays defense on, the, on this Twins coaching staff. The same way that he's advanced on the offensive end and become more mature, like he, that's what he's, he's going to need to be as a fielder. Or, you know, maybe we can stick Nelson Cruz out in center and, and maybe he can be our DH. <laughs> Let's go. Nelson wanted to play more anyways, so put him out there. I think he's ready. We we saw that we saw that dad speed, right? He's good. Yeah, he's we good. did. Yes, we did. I don't think that his power and his ability to make consistent contact um is uh, a fluke. I think that yeah, the batting average three I mean, it was at four fifty, it was at three eighty six, it's at three seventy. Like that's gonna fall. Like even if he drops into the high, you know, two hundreds, two eighty, two ninety. And, you know, we're seeing the power. He's got nine home runs through a fifth of the season. So even if he got to, like, you know, we've always thought, does he have 30 home run power? Yeah, he yeah. does. So, like, I, is he an MVP candidate potentially? Yeah. I mean, if he's getting, like, MVP consideration at 253 with 16 home runs and 51 RBIs, <laughs> yeah. If the guy hits 35 home runs and has 90 RBIs and, you know, can stay on the field, he's definitely going to be in that mix. He's as talented as Trout. He really is. Now, has he been able to put it together on the field as consistently? No way. He's not even close. But his pure talent, he's a, he's a really good baseball player when he's on the field. Oh, yeah. He's exciting. you got to tune in and watch that guy. So should we talk about some guys that we think might be really good football players? Well, I think it'd be about the right time. Let's do it. Yeah, so we're, we're a week removed from the, uh, the Rick Spielman and, and Mike Zimmer in the 2021 um, NFL draft and we came away with 11 draft picks and I gotta say Isaac we kind of nailed mm. it I think I think we somehow wired into the Vikings draft room and kind of took away exactly what they were gonna do because everything they did was like yep 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 that's it uh-huh and that first round trade man I was really nervous when that first happened but what what a genius trade I mean we we had the 14th pick, right, in the first round. And so we traded that pick and a fourth rounder to New York for their 23 and two third-round picks, which ultimately ended up being Christian Derrissaw, our future left tackle, or this next year left tackle, our potentially future quarterback, Kellen Mond, um, and our potentially starting guard, Wyatt Davis. Yeah, you know... There was, I, I've heard that in that war room, right? Like we were calling Detroit at seven and we were calling at nine and we were calling at 10 and we were calling at 11. And so it's, it felt to me like Spielman was sniffing around to move mm-hmm. up. And, you know, I, I, from what I understood, like um, we weren't going to give up the, you know, the, the, the treasury in order to move up four or five spots. The question is like, once the lions, you know, took um uh sewell right at number seven we continue to make phone calls at 9 10 11 and so who were we going after like did were we that high on slater or did we want justin fields because we ended up taking a quarterback at the top of the you know the number six quarterback overall drafted uh um, kellen mond at the second pick in the third round you know i kind of wonder and and what i've heard since then is that we were really high on justin fields and we're, we, weren't, we weren't sure that he was going to drop to 14, but, you know, if it took us giving up a little bit to move up a few spots to get him, you know, at, at 9 or 10 or 11, like, that's that's my sense of what the Vikings were trying to do. And then the Bears swoop in, of yeah. course, right, with that trade with the Lions, and, and they snap him up. But, you know, we uh, 
we took a quarterback high in the draft. And so I think there was an adult in the room because this was not, and we talked about this in our draft preview. This was not a move for the next year or two, although it could become that. And I want to talk about that yeah. later, but Kellen Mond is, I mean, he's, I don't want to call him a project because I don't think he's, uh, I think he's actually much more developed than a lot of people give him credit for. We talked, you said that the Vikings have been an all in team for the last few seasons in our last pod. Right. Mm. And so why would we spend we've we have a quarterback that has 31 million and 45 million on the books in terms of a of a cap hit the next 2 years who's done pretty well for us mm. you know kirk kirk's 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 fine if everything's working just right kirk's fine <laughs> yes yes and yet we spend a high draft pick and so i wonder like you know zimmer wants defense so he's already spending you know 31 or $76 million in terms of a cat hit over the next two years on his quarterback. I, I wonder if there was pressure from the Wilfs to be like, you know, does this team, you know, what's the succession plan at quarterback? Mm -hmm. So we pick up Kellen Mond and we pick up guys in the first round and the third round in Christian Derrissaw and, and Wyatt Davis that you know, no matter who's under center, we're going to have a better offensive line. So how did you feel about like the Vikings using the number 23 overall pick and the number 86 overall pick? to get those two linemen. I mean, I think that was always the plan to begin with. I, I don't really buy. I mean, I get that it has since come out that they were really interested in fields and probably going to take him. I just don't buy it because, like, to me, that, that costs at least Zimmer his job. I, I just, I, I don't, like, the offensive line's always been the issue, and we've known it. It's been complained about. We need a better offensive line for at least passing because we're not gonna we're not gonna get far in the playoffs if we're only gonna run the ball like that just doesn't work. So to me, like to get Darisaw at twenty three, especially when you know they were interested in taking him at fourteen, like it's pretty incredible. He dropped nine more spots to us. Was mate like it it filled that need, and then later on in the the fourth round we got or third round sorry third round we got Wyatt Davis, who's I mean huge dude. He's just a mauler for an offensive lineman. Um, so we filled two of our like biggest needs because we we suffered up the middle last year um, from, with the offensive line. Like Kirk got rushed constantly up the middle because our guys up the middle were just too small. Well, guess what? This Wyatt Davis guy, talk about six four three fifteen. The, the dude's just massive. Um, he doesn't get pushed around very easily. So I think I think it was the plan all along to address offensive line pretty high in this draft. And to get maybe a, a later quarterback, I wasn't sure it was going to be Kellen Mond. I know, I know that's who I was rooting for. That's who that's, we yeah, were rooting that's who, for. Yeah, that's right. That's who we were rooting for. I, I won't buy the Fields thing. I don't know. Well, we needed somebody to protect Kirk's blind yep. side. And, and, you know, Derisaw, you talk about a guy who's 6'4", 315. How about 6'5", 322? <laughs> that's Derisaw, your left yeah. tackle. You know, he had the highest pass blocking grade of any lineman in the Power Five. So on passing downs, you prevent sacks, pressures, hurries, 94.5%. Now, I, I was listening to a podcast, what is it called, uh, Mini Market, where they were like, I want to see a in my highlight reel of my first round left tackle pancake blocks. And I'm just like, this isn't Willie Rolfe, and it's not the 1998 Saints. <laughs> like, you need your left tackle to be competent in the run game by all means, but you draft him in the first round to protect your quarterback. And he should immediately become an asset for the Vikings in pass protection, in outside zone runs, and in utilizing his ability to pull and connect with moving targets in space. Because he's big, but he's athletic. Yeah. And, the, you know, one of the things that I've heard many uh, draft pundits talk about is the amount of technical growth that Derisaw has demonstrated throughout the course of his career at Virginia Tech. I think he's a perfect fit for our zone our zone run scheme. Yeah, I 100% agree. Um, another thing I kind of like about him, which like Zimmer seems to always play off of, is the whole like underdog mentality. And I mean, this this kid's been an underdog his entire life. Like he got he got one FBS scholarship offer, and that was from Virginia Tech. But first, he even had to go to what was basically a JUCO school. He went to a Fork Union Military Academy before he even made the Virginia Tech team. So I mean, this guy was like kind of doubted, and yet he came, you know, he came up and proved himself over and over again. And you know, he's, now he's a 23rd pick in the draft. Yeah, like you said, I mean, he's he's not a mauler, but he's also someone who's not going to get mauled. Like he stands his ground. He's got great footwork. Um, a lot of things I heard in in some interviews and videos were like he has really good hips for a lineman, and he's very flexible. I don't know. I think it'll be a great pick. I'm ho I'm hoping we're going to be really happy with this pick. He just seems like a guy like, you know, that's just going to work 
really hard to keep proving the doubters wrong. And, you know, I also like Wyatt Davis because, you know, although he dropped in the draft to the third round and a lot of draft experts were very surprised to see him on the board um, at pick number 86. But, you know, in, in 2019, he had a great year for Ohio State on the interior line. And um, last year, unfortunately, he was injured a bit and he had an um, issue with his knee. He did have to come out of the national championship game. But, you know, he, I think that getting Derisaw at 23 and then getting Wyatt Davis at 86, there was a lot of value in both those picks. I'm not sure you know this about Wyatt Davis, but his grandfather has ties to the NFL. And a team, yeah, yeah, a team that know the Vikings know very well. <laughs> I was going to say, I wonder how that's going to go with the family, considering uh, his grandfather played for our beloved Green Bay Packers. Yeah. Um, so that, what is that, Willie Willie Davis, who's a Pro Football Hall of Famer for the Green Bay Packers? Um, I was watching some some of the pre-draft videos with with. <laughs> with Wyatt Davis and he was saying how all oh, would be so great if he ended up with the Packers just because of the family ties and stuff. And so I, I just wonder how he's feeling about that now that he's on the, the other side of the rivalry. So yeah, that, that should be pretty interesting, but now he's on the good side. So. Well, maybe he could talk to Brett. He could talk to Brett Favre and, and, and ask him for some pointers. <laughs> well, we have a little depth at quarterback now too, for the first time since Kirk Cousins got here, we got a guy that, that, that might push him a little bit. I think he's a lot different than Kirk, which is interesting. And I, I love it. I love it personally because I've kind of always wanted uh, more of a, a scrambling quarterback just to extend plays, at least someone who's not a statue, which is exactly what Kirk is. Um, now, since we addressed the offensive line, and I wonder how that comes together, you know, maybe a scrambling quarterback isn't something that you necessarily need, but with a bad O-line, I think it's always bad that, good to have a scrambling quarterback. I mean, this guy was was actually like touted really highly coming into college. He was the number one dual threat quarterback coming out of high school in 2017. I mean, he, he's been a dangerous quarterback. I, I do know, and from a lot of the videos I've seen and the people talk about him, was it seemed like he started off his college career as pretty much just a scrambling quarterback. And I don't know if that's just because his first year, he was more of like an injury replacement. He wasn't initially going to be a starter his first year. So he was kind of like a one-read guy. If it wasn't there, he'd take off and run. But he's, he's shown tons of improvement in terms of becoming more of a pocket passer. I mean, his, his completion percentages constantly tick up and improve. Um, he started at 51.5 his freshman year, which then went to 57.3, 61.6, and finally 63.3 his, his senior year. So, I mean, he had constant improvement the entire time. And then you could kind of see, like, how the carries then went down the other way or the rushes from his second year to his fourth year, it went 149, 126, 74. So you could see that he kind of got a little bit more comfortable in the pocket and, you know, he was able to, to be more of that pocket quarterback instead of just like one read and, and I'm out of the pocket. So it'll be interesting because like, I, I love seeing that, that improvement over the years and the fact that he just, he is a four year starter at, at like a big college, but I do think he'll need, a year or two to sit behind Kirk. And I don't think that's a bad thing. Well, I, I, I like the way that you set that up, like the way that he came out of high school as one of the best dual threat quarterbacks in the nation. And, you know, he continued even at Texas A&M, he was, he ran the RPO um, and he read the option pretty well from what I could, could, could see. And I did watch him in a couple of games live um, during the sec broadcast on Saturday. A lot of what I've seen is in YouTube highlights, but um Every throw that he makes is a bullseye. He has a rocket arm. He doesn't need a lot of space in the pocket. And he can throw with pressure in the pocket. And he never really misses a throw in general. And you can see that. And like you talked about his running stats and how he improved in the passing game and his completion percentage. He doesn't make mistakes. Like last year, um, 10 games, 19 touchdowns, 3 interceptions. But for his career, he had 71 touchdowns and 27 interceptions against SEC defenses, right? And when he had Christian Kirk, by the way, um, who I had in my fantasy team last year as the, one of the receivers for the Cardinals, when Kirk was there, like when he's got options to throw to, and you think about Jefferson and Thielen and, and wide receiver three, we don't know who that's going to be, but at least Jefferson and Thielen, like I, I so you, you said to me, um, you know, he needs a year or two behind Cousins. 
you're probably right. Like we, people are thinking about him as a project. I'm high on him. I didn't think there was a big drop off from a guy like Mac Jones, maybe even Trey Lance or Justin Fields to, to, to Kellen Mond. And Vikings fans know that we drafted him high in the third round, which by the way, like, like as you said before, Spielman, those two picks, Davis, the, the picks we got from the Jets ended up with Wyatt Davis and Kellen Mond. That's house yeah. money. And, you know, Cousins, if, I, if I'll finish this thought, let you go, Isaac. If Cousins has, like, say we start out like two and four, and then Cousins has a couple of bad games in a row, you know all this town is going <laughs> to oh, <yeah>. turn. <laughs> and if, we, if we've got a guy that is, a, is, is an actual potential starter, the chatter on those K-fan call-ins after those losses is going to start. Mm. And I could see Kellen Mond getting some snaps this year if this season doesn't go the way we expect. Yeah, I would say definitely if the season doesn't go the way we expect. That's going to be hard, though, because, I mean, we still have we still have a year of Kirk after this year, right? But you could potentially – so I don't want Kirk to do poorly because if you think Kellen Mond's your guy, you could potentially trade him next March, and we would still take a $10 million cap hit, save the $35 million, apply it to your other needs, and now you got a, a quarterback on a rookie contract for the next three years. It's beautiful. I'm not sure. I, I'm high on him. I'm very high on him. And I really like him too. I mean, he was like, like, like I already said before, he was, he was the guy we wanted. Like we wanted the Vikings to take and I'm glad they got him. Like, it's amazing. I feel like that doesn't happen too often where your team takes exactly who you want. Unless of course you have like the first pick or something. But the only part I'll push back on with, with Mund is I'm not sure his touch passes are where they need to be for NFL football. Um, I, I saw a couple stats today that were a little bit of red flags to me. Um, he's very, very good in between the numbers on the field, but his his outside the numbers throws um, this this last year his intermediate throws outside the numbers was at a thirty five percent completion percentage. That's ugly, um, and he, it gets even worse. His deep throws outside the numbers, so I think that's like twenty five plus, was twenty six percent. Now part of that could be wide receivers, but those are not good numbers. So it, it I mean there, it. And you don't see very much, like very many touch passes um, in his highlight videos. It's a lot of what, what you were talking about. He's got a really strong arm. He's got a rocket arm. He'll zip it in there. He'll kind of thread the needle. But I think the part where he can maybe learn from Kirk is those touch passes. And, and may, maybe he's got that. He can add that in his arsenal. Um, so I think that'll be the good part that he can sit behind Kirk a little bit more. Well, I, and I don't think we should sell Kirk short. Like the problem with Kirk is the same problem we had with Joe Maurer's contract. The minute we signed Joe Maurer, even though everybody thought we were going to lose him to the Yankees or the Red Sox for $23 million, and he's getting in late in his career and he starts batting 270 instead of 320 and everybody in town is upset. If Kirk had been signed for $18 million a year, you know, three, four years ago, and he had done what he's done for the Vikings, we would be perfectly happy with him. He's a good quarterback. He's not a great quarterback, and you're sealing with him, even with a good team, you know, like Case Keenum led us to the NFC Championship mm -hmm. game. Um, why couldn't Kirk? I think he could, but he's not going to push you over the top. I'm not saying Kellen Mond is that guy, but I do think we need to give credit that, like, at least we're not talking about Tavares Jackson, like RIP, or, or, or Christian Ponder. He's the, he's the highest quarterback. He's the fifth highest quarterback we've chosen in the last 21 years. Behind Culpepper, Jackson, Bridgewater, and Ponder. Ponder was a reach. Yep. Culpepper was all that, and and then a bag of chips. But you know his injury ended his his dominance, and and Bridgewater same thing. Like, you know he was productive in his first two NFL seasons, compiling over six thousand passing yards, twenty eight touchdowns. He was seventeen and eleven as a starter, but major leg injury. You know derailed his two thousand and sixteen campaign. So, um, I I, I kind of like Cousins has been durable. Cousins has been okay to good, but it could be a lot worse. Yeah. Oh, it always could be. Did you see his his tweet that he tweeted? He tweeted back in 2016, Minnesota is an awful state. And then and then he replied to it, no one knows what a what a Mankato is anyway, or something like that. And he's since deleted him, but I wonder what his intentions were for that. And like, if he was just like messing around or what's going on there, because... Guess what? Now he's coming to the awful state of Minnesota. Well, considering you were a guy that peaked at 16, I thought you might have some insight on this. Oh, no, no. I peaked well before that. Well before that. Come on.
<laughs> that's right. That's right. Fifth grade. <laughs> so, you know, we're going to wrap up the draft review um, here, Isaac. And there was a couple of guys that you wanted to touch on in the later rounds. Um, one guy on defense and one guy in offense. So um, Chaz Surratt, linebacker in North Carolina, he was chosen in round three at number 78. Yeah, I think this is a super interesting pick. I think it's it's a high high ceiling, low floor guy, which I, I like the chances, though, with, with Zimmer and the defense's how he's been able to to mold some guys into his his schemes. Um, I mean, he's kind of an undersized linebacker at six two two twenty nine, but he, he's he's fairly quick. He runs a four point five nine forty yard, and just watching his watching his highlights, like this guy's got great closing speed. He kind of darts right through gaps and like right around bigger linemen like pretty easily, uh, and he's super good at blitzing the quarterback. His pursuit is is really good. Um, I just think like he's super, he's very small right now. Like he needs to bulk up a bit more to kind of fit in the NFL game. But a lot of the stuff I've heard about him is like this is an Eric Wilson replacement, the guy we lost in in the off season. And honestly, he was a big guy for us last year because Bar went down, so we needed someone to fill in for him. But everything I've 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 seen is that this guy is super versatile. So he's not like I think he's listed as an inside linebacker, but he could easily play any of the outside spots. And it's just crazy to me what kind of athlete he is. I mean, the first year after he switched to linebacker from quarterback, he was the runner-up for the ACC Defensive Player of the Year. He had 115 tackles, 15 for a loss, and six and a half sacks. Like, who does that? Who switches from quarterback to linebacker and is that effective? That's amazing. I think it was a solid pick. And I think you were more excited, though, about our pick in the fifth round. (laughs) At 157, like I was, I'm sitting on my couch, you know, just watching a show, and I'm getting these texts from you about this kid from Iowa. <laughs> you know, I I will not often be excited about someone from Iowa, but yeah, continue. <laughs> well, someone that played at Iowa, I can forgive him for that. But Amir Smith Marset, so we pick him, wide receiver from Iowa in the fifth round, and he's projected to be our returner, right? I believe so. Yeah, th- there's going to be some competition there between the other guy we picked from Iowa, but yeah. Iowa State, right? right? Yeah. So, well, it's all, in Iowa, it's just all one cornfield. Exactly. Right, one's Iowa, the other one's Iowa. Yeah. No, no, I shouldn't be that. <laughs> shouldn't be that low. Um, But no, no, this guy I'm super excited about. I mean, I, I watched this guy, this guy play against the Gophers. And he lit it up. Um, now I don't think I don't think the prospects of him as a wide receiver is that that great. So I, I don't see him making this team as a wide receiver, um, just because his like route running is not strong. He's he's not strong. Period. Like he's got a very small like frail frame. But watching this guy return kickoffs is pretty like it. It's pretty exciting. Like it kind of gets you out of your seat a little bit. Now he's not the most amazingly fast guy in the world. I mean, he ran a 4.43, which isn't bad at all. Throw on this guy's um, kickoff return highlights, and you'll see what I mean. I mean, he's got enough speed, and he's shifty. He's—I I don't think he, I ever saw him get tackled by the first guy that touched him. Your offense starting at the 35 versus the 10 is a big mm-hmm. difference. Or if you know nowadays in the NFL with kickoffs, like. Because of where it's kicked, there's so many of them that are touchbacks. It doesn't make that much of a difference as it did maybe 10, 15 years ago. Uh, but overall, like a guy that's shifty, that can find the hole, and that has enough speed to break it away, like I'm not saying he's Devin Hester, but that shiftiness kind of reminded me of him. And it, it fills another need. Yeah. Like Cordell Patterson never really made an impact on this team offensively, but boy, did he bring some excitement in the return yeah. game especially the kick return game, right? And and he's made a career for himself for like 10 years now, basically returning kicks and running end arounds. Yeah. You know, maybe Kellen Mond and Delvin Cook and Smith Marset can run some some um, RPO action for the Vikings if, if he if that's what it comes to this oh, year. Oh, bring that, bring that triple option to the NFL. I like it. I like it. <laughs> well, the triple option that I'm thinking about right now is the Timberwolves with 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 D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns and um, Anthony Edwards, and that's what we're going to talk about when we come back from our break.
Okay, and we're back, and we're going to finish out the pod today talking about the Timberwolves' late season surge, and then not so much a surge. <laughs> um, so we have had a four-game win streak since the All-Star break. We won five of six games at one point. We are 13-17 and 17 overall, which, as we talked about in the last pod, like that's not bad considering we were 7-24 and 24 under Saunders. But it hasn't been a bad run under, under um, Chris Finch. Um, since the break. So what what have you seen? What do you like? That was pretty cool. I mean, three of those games came from teams battling for playoff position. So, I mean, we got two wins from Utah and one from Golden State. So, I mean, you got to love that because, like, that, I mean, that's, that's more success than we had, like, the first half of the year. Um, but I, th- I think the biggest series of improvement, and I'm not exactly sure how Finch has kind of pushed this, or maybe it's just a straight mentality thing, is the biggest improvement I noticed was our, like our free throws. Um, before the All Star break, we were averaging around 20 a game, and that number is all the way up to 26 now. So I mean, it's giving us you know six more chances to get free free points. Well, we are cat is up 4.5 points a game since the All Star break, and overall, you said that we you know we are averaging seven more free throw attempts per game. Points per game have jumped 107 to 115. Since the all-star break. And this is like what I love about, um, you know, young guys is watching their development. Edwards was 37, 30, and 80 and 14.9 per game pre-all-star break. And now since the all-star break, he's been 44, 33, 76, and 23.1. I mean, I can live with a shooting guard shooting in the mid-40s from the floor and from the mid-30s from three and at shooting 76%. And averaging 23 points a game doesn't hurt either so you know finch being the offensive mastermind that he is has clearly unlocked something and we thought that we unlocked something too on defense and it it really did for like five or six games a lot of winning quarters isaac how many times this year have the wolves lost a quarter by 10 14 18 even 20 points in some cases and I was really impressed in that we won five games, uh, five out of six games. And, you know, in the Warriors, we beat them by 14 points in the fourth. The Rockets, we beat them by eight points in the fourth. The Jazz, we beat them by 18 points in the second. And in the first game, we beat them by 14 points in the second. The Kings, in the first game, we beat them by 17 points in the fourth. And it felt like there was really something coming together on the defensive end. Like, we've stopped doing, like the the drop action on pick and rolls and finally staying high working through screens and scrambling and that was what for me defined those five or six games was that on the defensive like we brought it offensively the same way that we have been pretty consistently since the all-star break but defensively we were bringing the energy and like closing out and the rotations and it wasn't always perfect but it was good and then we've had another letdown the last couple of nights uh, or last couple of games with the the Pelicans and the, and the Grizzlies. So what do you see in kind of this, like we're bringing it together and we're not. Yeah. I, I mean, it's probably going to be the really easy answer, um, the easy cop out, but I mean, it, I think it's just a part of like the learning curve. I mean, this team has been so used to for so long, bad habits and just not playing winning ball that, you know, you can't expect them to at the drop of the hat just switch everything and and play perfect ball from here on out. I mean, it kind of looked that way for a while, and it got kind of exciting. So it was like maybe you know maybe we have something here that's gonna go for the rest of the year. But I, I still think it's gonna ebb and flow a little bit. Um, I mean, it's definitely gonna depend on the opponent we play because I, I mean you could you could give a hundred percent effort and be in the right spots at all times, but better offense or yeah, better offense is always going to beat better defense, especially in the NBA. That's just that's the way that the game's designed. So, I, I think it's part of the learning curve. I, I'm I'm hoping that it's not just a fluke that we happen to play good defense for a bit, and I hope you know we're actually learning something, and maybe we're just taking a little bit of a downward dive. Well, we've been a top five offense with Russell and Edwards and Towns on the floor together. And we've also given up 126 points per 100 possessions, which is among the worst in NBA history. Um, but I, what is what is encouraging is that with the com- – I mean, I think Russell and, and, and Towns have been pretty special offensively. Yeah. And 
in the lineups when they've been paired with Anthony Edwards, Jade McDaniels, and wing stopper Josh Okogie, that might provide the sort of athleticism and versatility that we need in order to produce an above average defense for the first time in ages. Because in very limited minutes, that lineup featuring those three with Towns and Russell has held opponents to just under a point per possession. Hmm. So I I wonder if there's something there. Like overall, and we saw this again again against um, the Grizzlies last night, and then over the weekend against the Pelicans. Like it, it was like we. we for five or six games, I was like, we, we're, we're getting it. We're figuring it out. And the, in the post-game press conference, Finch was like, yeah, we're getting it. And then it was like back to the same. So I, I hope it's a two-game skid. So as the Timberwolves have been more competitive since the All-Star break, and a lot of games have come down to the last five minutes, Isaac, how do you feel about the way that we performed? And, and you know, we've got seven games left in the season and, and what that might mean for next year in terms of a pecking order um, in clutch situations. Yeah, like – like late late game shots, who who should I be giving the rock to? It seems it seems like it's a lot of recently. It's a lot of D'Lo and and Cat, which I think is, was kind of the the plan from the start. Um, but I'm ultimately not sure that's where like that's where I want the ball. I mean, I given given the the game plan and who's hot and who's not. But I feel like whenever when you got someone like Ant, especially if he's got the hot hand, like he needs to have the ball in closing situations because. If, if he's shooting the ball well, he's got that option. Otherwise, he can get to the hole anytime he wants. And he always sucks the defense in, and then he can kick it out. And, and one thing I like about him having the ball and, and doing that in regards to Cat is that, like, Cat is such a great three-point shooter or even, like, a trailer, you know, coming in to, to pick up a rebound on, like, a layup or something. Like, I'd rather have him doing off-ball action than him having the ball in the post. Because I've just seen too often with Cat that, like, he'll have the ball in the post last, you know, minute of the game or something. And for some reason, he's trying to draw the foul. And he's not just trying to make a bucket. And it, it's like all he's doing is flailing around the post. And it really it doesn't look good. Like, I don't know why any ref would call any of that, you know, flopping, flailingness that he's doing. Um, whereas, like, Ant... Ant's got the the will and the want to where, you know, he's going to get to the hole if he wants to. You know, he's going to take a step back shot if he wants to. He's got that ability already as a rookie. And he's he's showing a little bit, too, that he is more versatile than just taking it to the hole and shooting. He'll, he will drive and kick at times now, too. So that's who I want. Spread the paint out. Ant's getting better at at finishing around the rim. He's still got a long ways to go in that in that terms. But if you compare it to the beginning of the year, he's improved so much already. I it helped if he got a few calls too. He's earning that that right. He's earning his stripes. He's a rookie. So I think you know it, the more situations you put him in like that, I'm hoping he'll complain less because if he just goes out there and keeps playing hard, like just try to make a bucket. Like I, I heard this from someone. It's like. I think I think they were referring back to the the Kevin Martin and Kevin Love days, whereas like we were a really good team, we were a really good team for the first through third quarters. We get to the fourth quarter and we're trying to play for the foul instead of trying to play to make a bucket. And guess what? We we weren't getting the calls. You know, the refs swallowed their whistle and the other team ends up beating us in the fourth quarter. It seems like at times, like especially when Cat has the ball, that's what we're playing for. We're playing for the foul. Why aren't we playing to get the bucket? Like, just go out and score. If you get the foul, even better. I, I, I see Ant as offensively in our late-game situations. He should be the 1A. He should be. Cat could be the 1B. That's fine. Now, it, it's interesting, too, to sprinkle a little bit of D'Lo because, you know, given the game, he can be pretty clutch, but he also has a tendency to play hero ball, too, so that gets a little dangerous. Well, I think long-term, Anthony Edwards is the answer. Like, if you think about the prototypical guy, closer, and, and what do they need? Like you need to be able to get your own shot, but more importantly, you need to be able to get to the rim and to draw contact and to, you know, make shots, but to put the pressure on the referee to make a call. Right. I do think there's value in giving him reps. He has not performed well this year in 31 games in clutch minutes, which is considered the last five minutes where the game is within two possessions. He's shooting 38% from the floor and 16% from three with 0.5 field goal attempts free throw attempts, I'm sorry, um, in those final five minutes. D'Lo, in 21 games, is shooting 42% from the, from the floor, 
36% from three and 0.6 free throw attempts. A little bit better. Cat, in 29 games in the last five minutes, 50% from the floor, 58% from three, and he's averaging uh, one attempt from the free throw line. Now, I also did a deeper dive into the last two minutes, and it was pretty much the same thing. It was Cat, D'Lo, and Ant was like fifth on the team. And then in the last minute, same thing. Like The, the stats didn't change much. And then I did it post-All-Star break. And the only thing that changed was Okogi was up there. Hmm. And so Cat and D'Lo, would I call them finishers? No. Do I think Cat could have a role in end-of-game situations with the, his ability to pass and draw double teams? If somebody can get him the ball, yes. I don't like him being the initiator of offense in the sense of like, you know, putting his head down like a bull, yeah. like he tends to do and get stupid fouls. Ant's the guy. He's been tremendously inefficient. I'm not super high on his shot selection or his decision-making, but his body and his athleticism and where I think he could go in terms of his three-point shot-making and his ability to get to the cup and make baskets or draw fouls, yeah, I think he could be a premier um, closer in this league. I do. I, I, you, you already see it in stretches. And he's, he's 19 years yeah. old. I mean, the kid, by the way, speaking of 19 years old, all-time rookie-scoring teenagers in 66 games, Anthony Edwards. And who's ahead of him? Kevin Durant at four. Carmelo Anthony, Kobe Bryant, LeBron James. Oof. And they all did it between 80 and 100 games. And he's not going to get to that because he's going to have 72 games and he'll turn um, 20 in the offseason. But, I mean, that's a pretty compelling case to me for Rookie of the Year. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's a lot closer now than it was, you know, pre-Lamelo Ball injury. I mean, it, it was kind of hard to kind of hard to fault what what Ball did on that Hornets team, especially just I mean, stats wise and how the team was performing. Like Ball's was superior in, in both of those senses. But it's hard to not be biased though, because I do I do love Anthony Edwards. I mean, you look at the game he put up just you know last, last night against the Memphis Grizzlies, where he put up 42, tying his career high for eight for nine from three. Now, why can't he just shoot like that every game, right? Well, he said that. He's shooting three-pointers now like he did in high school. Yeah. Like he's adjusted to the NBA range. Yeah. Which is going to be – if he does figure out his shot and becomes more efficient from the three-point line, he's going to be terrifying. <laughs> and I know I'm biased saying that. But, I mean, a, a guy that's a bully like that and who will dunk on you and potentially have the dunk of the year but can stretch it out to the three-point line. And we've seen him do step backs and that sort of thing, like create space and still knock down some threes. I like the prospect of this kid. I just, I just don't know if he's done enough to get win rookie of the year for me. I mean, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a debate between how ball finishes out the year, but it's gotten a lot, a lot closer now. I would say, you know, halfway through the year, it was, it was ball's award to lose. Well, LaMelo missed six weeks, 21 games, almost 30% of the season. Ant hasn't missed a game the entire year. Charlotte, by the way, 22 and 22 with LaMelo, 10 and 11 without him. So it's not like this team dropped off significantly when you asked Terry Rozier to take the reins. And I get it. I get it. Like LaMelo has it, right? He has the wow factor. I mean, he has a wide passing vocabulary. He's a Picasso of playmaking, right? But Ant is a is a is a Kansas tornado. He's a take the game over, make you jump out of your seat, dunk kind of guy. And you know he's had a couple of games with forty plus and post All Star break as we talked about twenty three a game, forty four percent from the field, thirty three percent from three, seventy six percent from the line. So this whole narrative about like you know good stats, bad team, that's somewhat fair. Although the team has not been that bad. Like we've been almost 500 since the all-star break when we've had three of our four bus players on the court yeah. and he's posted a 618 true shooting percentage when playing with Russell since he came back. And that was the big thing was like, Russell comes back. Is the ant going to get his looks? Well, Russell helps create cleaner lanes for him to get to the basket. Mm -hmm. And he's been coming off the bench to allow Edwards to continue to get his touches in the, in the two man game with towns you put it all together and it's like ultimately like the wow factor for me is, is pretty much an equal different yeah. skill sets. Edwards was tremendously inefficient in the first half of the year, but who has he been in the six weeks that LaMelo has been out and LaMelo's team didn't suffer without yeah. him. 
Um, and we've had a ton of injuries and COVID issues. And since we've got our team back, we're not that far behind Charlotte in terms of our ability to play 500 ball. So if that's the, your, your big thing is like, well, Charlotte's a better team, like maybe for the MVP, that's part of the discussion. But for the rookie of the year, I just, I just don't think it's a clear cut. Like I, would I love it to be Edwards? Heck yeah. I just, I would not be at all mad if it was ball. I wouldn't. All right. So listen to me, Isaac, if you and I were equal employees at your company and we were both in our first year and in our first month, I showed up 22 out of 22 working days and you showed up 14 out of 22 working days, even though those 14 days were great. Mine were very good. My boss is going to count on me for those 22 working days. Cause those eight days that you're gone, like that's a problem. I'm sorry. Like that's a lot of PTO. I get it. You were hurt, but you know, that's part of the NBA. Like part of winning awards is your ability to be on the court. And like, what's the line? Like you missed 21 games. Oh, that's okay. In a 72 game season. What's next? You miss half the year. Well, that half the year, he was better than anything else I've seen. It's like, no, (laughs) like if Edwards got hurt too, I'd be talking about Halliburton. I would like if, if, like if LaMelo has been good enough, like he was, he was the, the front line candidate and so like he's missed time and so he's dropped but i think he's he's missed too much time and i think edwards has done too much in the time that he's missed for him to recoup that in the next seven games i'm sorry call me a homer i'll take it (laughs) homer anthony edwards is rookie of the year oh you heard it here first (laughs) well with that rookie of the year talk isaac we're gonna bid our audience good night and as we always do i'm gonna let you take us out yeah thanks for listening i hope you guys enjoyed the pod and We'll uh, we'll see you next time. Stay safe out there.